You're listening to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington podcast. Take a moment to center yourself in this space and enjoy this week's sermon. The reading this morning is by Robert Frost. And for those of you younger than me who aren't familiar with him, um, to date him, he was an old man when he read a poem at John Kennedy's inauguration. Um, and he was inspiration to poets we turn to more frequently these days, like Wendell Berry and Mary Oliver. Um, and this poem is called Mending Wall. Can you hear me? Good. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that sends the frozen ground swell under it, and spills the upper boulders in the sun, and makes gaps even two can pass abreast. The work of hunters is another thing. I have come after them and made repair, where they have left not one stone on a stone, but they would have the rabbit out of hiding to please the yelping dogs. The gaps, I mean, no one has seen them made or heard them made, but at spring mending time, we find them there. I let my neighbor know beyond the hill, and on a day we meet to walk the line and set the wall between us once again. To each the boulders that have fallen to each, And some are lobes, and some so nearly balls, we have to use a spell to make them balance. Stay where you are until our backs are turned. We wear our fingers rough with handling them. Oh, just another kind of outdoor game, one on the side, it comes to little more. There where it is, we do not need the wall. He is all pine, and I am apple orchard. My apple trees will never get across and eat the cones under his pines, I tell him. He only says, good fences make good neighbors. Spring is the mischief in me, and I wonder if I could put a notion in his head. Why do they make good neighbors? Isn't it where there are cows? But here there are no cows. Before I built a wall, I'd ask to know, what I was walling in or walling out, and to whom I was like to give offense. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. I could say elves to him, but it's not elves exactly, and I'd rather he said it for himself. I see him there bringing a stone grasped firmly by the top in each hand, like an old stone savage armed. He moves in darkness, as it seems to me, not of woods only in the shade of trees. He will not go behind his father's saying, and he likes having thought of it so well. He says again, good fences make good neighbors. Isn't that great? 
wise words. And thanks for the reading of it. I guess I'm like Robert Frost. I don't know that we need more fences or walls. So the great problem of our time, what is it? You went straight to the answer. In my script, you're supposed to say, it's global warming. No, it's homophobia. You were supposed to say all these and let me deliver the punchline. <laughs> the survey says there's plenty to go around. But like I was hoping to be the one who delivered to you, um, the one that, um, that affects all the others, that makes it difficult to achieve progress on all these others, is the divisiveness in our society, in our world. Let's skip over the question of who is to blame. The more important question, how will these things be changed? My premise is brief, and it may or may not be welcome. The divisiveness for which we are all responsible, parents and children, conservatives and liberals, believers and non-believers, all of us impedes progress on every one of the great problems we just named and more. I'm not suggesting those who deny science, who value dollars over dignity, the freedom to carry assault rifles over the freedom to vote or control one's own body. I'm not saying they are correct or justified in their positions. Far from it. And I'm not suggesting those of us who are called to work for a more just world should just give up. Just the opposite. We need to do even more. We need to strengthen our individual and collective spiritual infrastructure. I'll get to how in a bit. First, though, I'd like you to imagine a chasm, a divide between two cliffs. To the eye, it seems deep and, and wide. More disturbing, it seems to be widening. Can you visualize that? Can you relate to that? <laughs> to be fair, there's not just one chasm. There's, there's lots of chasms, big and small. There could be a growing gap in a personal relationship, perhaps between friends or siblings or parent and child. It might be a rift among folks in a congregation or even a whole denomination looking at its past or future from dramatically different perspectives and finding the dissonance unbearable. Of course, it could be on a much larger scale, like how some religions, political parties, or even nation states act toward one another. For now, let's just call it the divide, or at least a divide. You see, it's, it's like once we were connected in the same community, we saw ourselves as similar, we still had disagreements, but we were able to talk about it, debate in the good sense of the word, hear one another, sense one another's inherent goodness. But now, not now, now it's just the divide. Time for a story. Once upon a time in a village called Washington, there were two powerful sneeches. <laughs> they weren't sneeches. <laughs> they were really, they were more geezers than sneeches. 
let's call them Dutch and Tip. And as Carol says, if you're above a certain age, you probably know who I'm referring to. And if not, they were the 40th President of the United States Republican, Ronald Reagan, and the 47th Speaker of the House, Democrat, Tip O'Neill. And way back, a long time ago, these political adversaries actually met regularly and ate and drank together. They told jokes, they laughed a lot, they argued plenty, and they worked to find common ground and bridge divides through compromise. Over time, though, drinking and dining with the other became passe. Why would we want to eat or drink with them? Somebody told me, I'm not sure if it's true, that it had to do with saving taxpayer money. Why should we be paying for the legislator's liquor anyway? The people asked. It's a fair point. But just because we don't directly pay for it doesn't mean that someone won't. These days, legislators tend to eat, drink, and talk only in caucus, only with folks who already believe as they do. And usually the tab's picked up by a political action committee. <laughs> and we know there are political action committees on all sides. Instead of talking with their counterparts, they talk about them. And isn't that true of just about any divide, even if it's in a family, even if it's in a church? In fact, a couple of years ago, reporter David Wandrick offered to pick up the tab if the legislators of different parties would meet for drinks at the Columbia Room, the most elegant bar in the city. He says, my Amex card remained completely uncharged. Can you imagine that? Anyway, that's my short story. Back to the image I described. These two cliffs with the deep and widening space between, why are they widening? I've been pondering that. And I've heard all kinds of arguments, and I believe many of them, but I don't know that it's something that's obvious and seen. So I look for something that might be less obvious. Let's pretend that these aren't just two pieces of cardboard that I've colored hurriedly before I came in. <laughs> these two horseshoes instead, let's pretend they're made of aluminum, nickel, cobalt, and iron. And they have this amazing property called magnetism. Turn the page. Anybody notice they look like you, you? Didn't know that until his color was pretty cool. <laughs> what happens when I bring them close together? What happens? Interesting, yes. They could come together like this if the poles are oriented the way they are. That's called attraction. Or if the poles are aligned this way, when they start to come together, what happens? They repel one another. They repulse one another. So back to those two cliffs. 
Here is you and me and all the wonderful people who agree with us on everything important. We're already separated philosophically and otherwise from folks on the other side. We don't watch the same news channels. We stopped eating and drinking together even before the pandemic. Remember that awkward Thanksgiving after a certain election? Some of us were devastated, others elated. Boy, was that repulsive for everybody. And little did we know that we were just getting started. <laughs> Over time, we came to believe that many of our neighbors, coworkers, our family members had crossed over to the dark side. They, everyone on that side, I'm not talking about you, Sally. I'm just kind of, sorry. They were suddenly uncaring, selfish, had no respect for freedom or democracy or the right of conscience. More than that, they seemed a little weird, perverted, dangerous. They're now stupid and wacko and their bellies, they don't even have stars upon theirs. They are the problem. They have repelled us. Maybe I should pause on that one. And note that just about everything I said about them, whoever them is, they could and certainly would have said about whoever we is. and probably in church. This separation begets more of a feeling of separation and a justification for it. But that separation, that's a lie. Because we are one. The universe inside me knows this. We are one family, one community, one nation, one world. We came from the same source. And whether I believe that that was a powerful breath of God, or you believe that it was a powerful singularity that banged over 14 million, almost 14 billion years ago, or Carol believes it's both and, we are one. And we will once again be one when this earth falls into the sun and the sun falls into whatever it's going to fall into. We have the same source. We have the same destiny. In the meantime, if we're ever to get back to the table where we can discuss our differences, we must first remember our connection to our fellow humans. Who wants to help me build a bridge? It won't be easy. Be frustrating. Okay, for this bridge, we're gonna need some tools. And as you use, we happen to have some great foundational elements. For example, we have a history of working for positive change. We've got a belief system that values every person, or at least we say so, and recognizes our interdependence. We are truth speakers and seekers. We're willing to question assumptions, even our own. That's a good start. And we bring strength. Not so much in numbers, you know, there we're quite small as a denomination. We've always exerted way more influence than our numbers would suggest. You remember how we showed up for build? 
We need to do it next year too, and in many other ways as well. We've always been there on social justice issues, always. And sometimes the tactic required is a peaceful demonstration. And sometimes it's civil disobedience. Other times though, a different strategy may be best. Helio Frank, I'm sorry, Helio Fred Garcia is a communications expert. He's also an adjunct faculty member at the Star King School for the Ministry, one of our UU schools, the other one, the one I don't go to. <laughs> the other one over there on the, on the, on the left coast. Um, and he had a big role in the Freedom to Marry campaign that culminated in the Supreme Court decision of 2015. He attributes, at least partly, the willingness to meet people where they are for the dramatic shifts in attitudes that occurred in just a few short years. Consider that in 1996, only 27% of Americans supported same-sex marriage. In 2022, it was reported that 71% support it. Amens and hallelujahs are certainly welcome in this service. So while attorneys were making the case to the Supreme Court, Garcia and the Freedom to Marry campaign were taking the case to the court of public opinion. They did so by engaging mayors and CEOs, faith leaders, both progressive and conservative leaders who wrote Friends of the Court briefs. They kept their eye on the prize and they found ways to connect with diverse audiences using real stories of real people. Those TV ads that the movement used to win over public opinion, they weren't about shaming those who disagreed with their logic. They did not ask them to toss out their stodgy interpretations of the Old Testament. They reminded them that people who love one another, our sisters and our sons, our neighbors and maybe our fellow congregants, they deserve to be happy. Amen. <laughs> and many, many, many saw that, felt that, because it was through the heart that they were working, not just through the old stodgy interpretations we have. 44% of those opinions shifted in just 25 years because they connected with the community, our common humanity. Organizers stirred the innate compassion by tuning the language of specific audiences in ways that helped bend that arc of justice just a little bit. They flipped the magnet. That's what they did. Now we know that not everybody was on board with that decision. 29% still aren't. I'm sure you all know the name Kimberly Jean Davis, the former county clerk of Rowan County in this Commonwealth who refused to issue marriage license to same-sex couples back in 2015, right after the Obergefell case. But consider this, UU minister Nate Walker recounts consuming the news coverage of her speech as she was released from jail. What he heard and saw 
through her body language was her emotion. It was not an emotion of hate, he said. Though as a gay man, it would have been natural for Reverend, Tate, Nate, Reverend Nate to hear the words as hateful. No, he said, the emotion was grief. It was palpable. It was as though he was observing a person who had lost someone or something that she held dear. And he says that he felt compassion for her in that moment. I'm humbled and somewhat inspired by his reaction. Grief is one of the most human of emotions, isn't it? Along with fear and sadness and love. It's what connects us. We all have these things, even them. And you know what? It's hard to build a bridge entirely from one side of a divide. Try it sometime. <laughs> it's really hard. Consider meeting people where they are, and I suggest meeting them in our common humanity. Adrienne Marie Brown, in her book, Emergent Strategy, offers some radical ideas for affecting radical change. They're so radical, in fact, they almost seem practical. Here's one. She says that what we practice in the small scale sets the pattern for the whole system. She compares the idea to the concept of fractals. Fractals, for you nerdy folks like me, are those images of repeating patterns that look similar at both large and small scale. Think of tree roots, or the vascular system, or snowflakes, or the universe. It's just a metaphor. She says the most used quote in her life is transform yourself to transform the world. As we work and pray for change out there, as we wish that those stubborn politicians and pundits would get their heads on straight, would become more compassionate and more reasonable, more fill in the blank. Yes, as we work on the world out there, perhaps, perhaps we might look inward too. In what ways do we suffer from hardening of our own attitudes? Where could we be more compassionate? to others and even to ourselves? Where could we listen for the emotions, not just the harsh repeated words that our coworker heard on the news last night? And then there is love. We know a thing or two about love, don't we? Our website says action with love for justice. We love each other here. I love you, Carol. I love you, Jack. I love you, Marianne. I think Barb and Frank, I love you, Barb, my partner, and Frank, I love you. I love all of you. But that's not enough. If we are to bridge the divide, we have to love even more broadly and boldly. We are called to love the oppressed and the oppressor. And that does not come easily. 
So you're saying that we should love them? What if they hate us and everything we represent? Yeah. Quote a wise Jewish carpenter, as told in Luke 6.27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. It's from one of our sources, one of our many sources. Or to quote a more modern prophet, the Reverend Joanna Fontaine Crawford, love the hell out of this world. <laughs> Remember, we practice what well, we practice small scale sets the pattern for the whole system. Lao Tzu tells us, if there is to be peace in the world, there must be peace in the nations. If there's to be peace in the nation, there must be peace in the cities. If there's to be peace in the cities, there must be peace between neighbors. If there is to be peace between neighbors, there must be peace in the home. If there is to be peace in the home, there must be peace in the heart. So remember to love yourself too. This work of building bridges to help heal our world, it's the work of people of faith. It doesn't have to be a particular faith, but ours is particularly well suited to it. It's inward and outward, fractal if you will. It is work of the heart, not just the mind. How can we find ways to connect, to bridge through our common humanity? How can we meet people where they are and invite them one step or two steps closer? Let us maintain an active hope. That's one that doesn't rely on external forces to fix things, but it calls us to our own agency to do what we can with what we have that looks for the best in others and in ourselves. I feel really blessed to be part of this challenging journey with all of you. Now let's get out there and love the hell out of this world. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.ucl.org, where you can find more information about our grounds, staff, and upcoming events. You can also subscribe to our e-news there and learn about our virtual service offerings. We'll see you next week.